What's up, military millionaires? Today's episode is with Joe Driscoll, who has just hit 20 years in the Coast Guard, getting ready to retire. And he runs Average Joe's Financial Independence.com, and he's a money coach. And so we're going to talk about all things money. If this is your first time joining us, thanks for joining the community. Show notes are found on from military to millionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave, and I'm here with Joe Driscoll, who has been in the Coast Guard for just hit 20 years and is a money coach and does some different side hustles. And we wanted to talk about money because this is the Military to Millionaire podcast. And if you walk, look on my website, it literally says military money on the top. So what better to talk about than money? And Joe, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, David. Uh, I appreciate the the offer. Um, so a little bit about myself. You kind of hit it on the dime there. 20 years active duty U.S. Coast Guard and uh, my main uh, money hustle. Uh, I have several and I guess I can get into that in a little bit. But my main is money coaching, uh, helping people control their money and telling their money what to do um, and helping people just to essentially win with money because there's a lot of information out there. But I look at it as, you know, money coach is there. It's like a personal fitness coach that's just going to walk with you as you, um, you know, down your journey or whatever. But what kind of got me started into this was uh, back in 2013, um, somebody kind of introduced me into some basic financial principles, and I kind of just took it from there. Um, my wife and I cleaned up about – this was our second time around, So, but this is the time that I really – 
talk about and discuss. We cleaned up about $52,000 in debt in two years, and we've been living debt-free since about 2014. And during my journey, of course, people were like, oh, you're ludicrous, you're crazy, who lives like this, blah, blah, blah. I still have my old beater truck. It's got 200 plus thousand miles on it, but I don't care because it's mine and it's been mine for years. Um, but when they started seeing like the stuff that we were able to do, you know, cash flow vacations and all this other stuff, they were like, oh, well, maybe I should try this. So it kind of started from there. A lot of people started asking us questions, how we were doing it and all that. And then eventually it kind of trended into about a year and a half, two years ago, I, I kind of officially launched Average Joe's Financial Independence. Uh, where I coach people, and uh, and I'm located in San Diego, but I have clients all over the U.S., obviously. Um, and briefly mentioned in the beginning, uh, side hustles. I believe true millionaires have multiple income streams. So we have an Amazon. We sell used books on Amazon, eBay. We're always constantly flipping items. Uh, I had, through the military, I was a locksmith, a certified locksmith GSA. So wound up talking to a local locksmith. I actually do side work on his stuff, nothing to do with the Coast Guard, uh, and it's nothing to do with my certifications, just side projects. And then there's another company I work for on the side. They Every so often where I do presentations for companies on finances and stuff like that, like 1099 work. And I'm pretty sure there's more out there if you ask my wife, but I think that's the, the bulk of it for right now, anyway. That's cool. So I, you know, when I ask side hustles, a lot of times I get, you know, Uber, and the the typical not that there's anything wrong with uber or some of those side hustles but it's really cool to hear that you're doing unique like i have not had anybody tell me that they are a locksmith on the side that is not something that most people are like i'm gonna be a locksmith um and that's cool right because you were able to find something that you learned and take it and put it to use and uh i mean that's just a cool way to look at it that's how you know you're you've made it to that like side hustle level where you're like man i could actually i have this ability i could do X and turn it into some income, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So you got into money coaching, which obviously is, it's an interesting subject, right? Service members and, and non-service members alike. A lot of people don't like to talk about money, which is funny because it's like the leading cause of divorce and suicide and maybe not suicide, but it's up there. Uh, depression, you know, I mean, money is a, a thing that can make or break a lot of people. Uh, partially, I think, because people put entirely too much importance on dollar value but i would be curious to hear how how easy like how hard is it for you like what's a good way to ask that question because it's not an easy topic to broach so i guess at like do you find at work that people are willing to come up and talk to you about it or are people still intimidated because they feel like so i feel a lot of times like when i talk finance to anyone that they are either trying to like puff their chest about the things they did right and not talk about the things they did wrong, or they are not wanting to talk to me at all because they don't want me quote interfering or mingle or, or whatever you would call that um, meddling. There we go. That's a good uh, way to look at it. So I'm just curious, like, do you find people receptive to that in the coast guard? Is that a, a Marine thing or is that uh no, so uh, ironically, I actually work on MCRD here in San Diego, our, our small Coast Guard commands on the back side of there. So um, a good story, and, and I'll share that. Um, during the whole government shutdown thing, the Coast Guard was kind of unique. We're the fifth branch of military service, but we fall under DHS. Yep. Um, so me being a money coach, 
our commands up there briefing the junior members, say, be expected not to get a paycheck, be expected not to get a second paycheck. And I couldn't hold my tongue at the last briefing. And I probably did something I should have. I kind of stepped after the CEO and I said, I can't take this anymore. The information that you're telling these guys, so they were telling them to go out and get loans, go tell them to go borrow this, start pulling from their TSP. And I'm like, this is insane. You guys are missing one paycheck and it's the end of the world. So I shared my story. I got livid. I got fired up. People are like, I've never seen that side of you. But it was so many young kids that, you know, E4, E5, E2, all the way down, you know, that were getting impressed by senior military members. And I'm not down talking anything. It's just like our our way that we think about money, average person, is just not right. And we're so ingrained into borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. And it's just, you're eventually going to run out of borrowing. So I just couldn't bite my tongue any longer and I kind of exploded. And it took a while after that. I kind of walked away with my head. I thought it was high, but then it was actually low. I was like, did I just embarrass myself? And then later on, like, hey, onesie twosie started approaching me, like asking me questions. Like, and it was ironic because it's, you know, I believe there's three things that people don't really talk about in life, and it's politics, religion, and money, because it brings conflict. And we hate conflict. Humans and nature, we hate conflict. That's the reason why we don't like to talk about it. So for somebody to break that ice, I, I think it's pretty remarkable. And it's the one thing that I constantly, constantly get into. Like some of these money coaches that have been around for years, I'm like, man, I just envy you because it's the hardest sale to me in the world. I could go around door to door and sell Kirby vacuum cleaners all day, and I think I could probably get a sale. But constantly trying to get that client to understand that, hey, look, your way of thinking is wrong because I've been in your shoes and I know how you're thinking. So uh, it's, it's a very tough sale. It's funny you say that as the example, and I actually am kind of glad that you brought that up. Uh, so when that all went down, I made a video and the title was absolutely intended to try to make it go viral off of that endeavor. Uh, I titled it uh, something like, if the government shut down, how's you worried? You're a socialist. And the entire video, as terrible as it was, the entire video was based around the concept of hey, we all hate the idea of socialism and communism, but you're depending on the government because you can't survive without one paycheck. And I basically wrote it as like, hey, this isn't the first time in just the time I've served where the military has been like, hey, you might not get paid. Hey, brace yourself. I think it's the, the second big one, but there's been some other times in the last decade where it's come up, but it was the second like big scare. And the first time everybody lost their mind and did exactly what you said, I was like, great. And I started saving money as an emergency fund. And the second time everyone did the same thing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you, you didn't learn the first time to save a little bit of money so you could survive without having to take out interest rate loans or zero. I mean, granted, a zero low, zero interest loan is not the worst thing in the world, assuming you pay but it the, back. <laughs> but and and that was the thing too that I was concerned about these junior members. There wasn't going to change their spending habits, and they were going to borrow this money, and all of a sudden they're going to have to owe this money. So what they were going to do? Go out and get another interest loan or something silly. You know what I mean? So yeah. that was my concern. I was kind of looking at it long term, the progression of facts. And, you know, still to this day, there's there's still members that it's, it, it's sad, but it's true. They didn't yeah. listen. So, you know, live and learn. Yeah, absolutely. And th I mean, there's, you know, there's and there's rough patches. I'm, I'm in a, a quote rough patch right now where I've got a lot of expenses converging at the same time and I'm cutting it a little closer than I want to. 
but most of them are business expenses where I know that once they, you know, once I turn around, I'll be good. Like for example, I'm flipping a house and it went a little bit over budget. So now I'm, I'm forking out the last little bit of money, but when I'm done flipping the house, you know, I'll suddenly I'll see $50,000 in, in whatever money that was sitting around, come back into the bank account plus whatever profit on top of that. So, but even, even still it's this point in time is sitting around going, Oh man, like, you know, it's like, Oh, my credit card has never been this high. Um, yeah. And I feel terrible about it, but you know, I know there's a plan there and I know that it's going to be okay in a, in a month or two, I'll get a big check and it'll all be back to normal. But what scares me is that I could be at the same exact spot and not have the money that will come back in and be a part of a plan. And I see that entirely too often in the military where people are like, oh, I got approved for a credit card. And there goes all my financial freedom. Yeah. No, totally. Um, And not not to ping on the military. I, I just... And there was one interesting thing when it, when it talks to money too, I just recently, you know, coming up on 20 years, obviously I've been the taps and there's all these other programs or anything, but the, the first subject that gets brought up in somebody's program is budgeting. I'm like, you're getting out of the military and you're just now telling us about budgeting. So I find that ironic, um, how that works. So, um, it was just one of my takeaways. So. It just is what it is. You can look at it a different way. Yeah, they're trying to budget for you know how much money leaving the military, but if you were budgeting all along or had some kind of idea where your money was going, you should know that already. I don't think it needs to be a, a topic for, for the TAPS class, but that's just my opinion, you know. Yeah, I mean, it definitely can't hurt, but you're right. It's a little late. So what are some, uh, like, what would be some some typical advice that you would pass out to people when you first start sitting down and talking to them? So the, the first thing, you know, I kind of, we have to get everything on paper, right? You know, you, I believe the seeing is believing thing. And that's usually the person's the first initial shock. When we gather up all the receipts out of a, a shoebox or whatever they're paying because they have so many automatic deductions. I think that's the, that's the main killer right there. A lot of people have no idea how, automatic, how many automatic deductions they actually have, which is a good thing. I love things that are automatic. But when you have these automatic deductions that are paying for magazines or all this other stuff that you forget about, it's amazing how quickly it adds up. So when we finally get all the, you know, scratching and digging and everything, and I can actually get all their numbers on paper and show them like, okay, well, you're bringing in, I don't know, five grand, but you're spending 10 grand a month. Okay, something's got to give, you know. So that's when the, usually the first reality shock get, gets kicked in. And, you know, like the studies say, the average person has less than $400 in their savings account uh, across, the, across the nation. So when you're, when you're dealing with that, they're overspending already and they only got $400 in their savings account for an emergency. The first thing they're going to do is grab that credit card because that's their, you know, that's what they know how to get themselves out of an emergency, which digs the hole deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's there and it's reality and you can't borrow because you, you're maxed out. And. You know, people have done a whole story series about being maxed out, but eventually people get to that extreme. Absolutely. Are you a debt snowball type of guy or a debt avalanche type of guy? Or how do you recommend people pay off debt once they realize they've got a problem? <laughs> so I'm definitely a debt snowball kind of guy. Just personally working with clients one-on-one, I found that it actually does work that way because I believe in the aggressive approach. I don't believe in the interest rate thing, uh, when we're looking at a debt snowball, it's still the smallest. I don't really care about the interest rate because 
we as humans, we need to win, right? So if we conquer these small little tasks, it's like checking the box on our to-do list, we feel accomplished. So if I can pay off a credit card for $500 and I feel accomplished, I feel that sense of win and I'm gonna do it again, and then I'm gonna do it again. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I need to pay off the highest interest rate first, and we know what happens, they give up. And all of a sudden, they're back into the nickel and dime again, and guess what? The credit card companies are making it because they know exactly what they're doing. So yeah, I definitely believe in the snow, that snowball approach. And for those of you listening, I should have explained this or ed- asked him to, but the debt snowball is simply paying off your smallest loan possible, paying minimum payments on everything, and then maximum payment on your smallest debt paid off as fast as possible, and then rolling that into the next debt and so on and so forth until you're paid off, unless you have a better definition than that. But <laughs> No, no, that's not, no, you're, you're correct. Absolutely. Awesome. So, all right. So we, we cover some getting out of debt. So let's say so-and-so is on their way to getting out of debt. What do you think, like what kind of investment type of stuff do you like to recommend? So there's two approaches. You, you got the financial independence approach where they believe that, you know, you should continue to invest because of long-term, you know, it'll work out. Then you have other, you know, I'm not going to mention any particular financial people out there, but there's other approaches where they say, no, you should stop all investment and start aggressively paying off all your debt because, if you aggressively pay it off, it's going to make you want it more. So I'm, I'm receptive to both sides. It, to me, it just really varies because most people I usually work with at that stage, they're only like putting a couple hundred dollars anyway. So I'm like, you're not really moving the needle either way. So it's not going to really make that much of a difference. You know, they're not putting large substantial amounts in the savings anyway, because they don't really have the money because they're living paycheck to paycheck or whatever, or they're in this crazy student loan crisis or whatever's going on with, with their unique situation. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree. I think it's kind of like you said, it's, it's a personal preference, right? There, there's not necessarily a wrong answer there. Uh, and there's so many different strategies. So like, for example, everybody loves uh, Dave Ramsey, right? And I kind of disagree with a lot of people. I think Dave Ramsey's great getting you from negative to zero, but the moment you hit zero debt, I think personally, I'm a, I'm a turn away from the, the Dave Ramsey method and go find myself. I, I believe that, you know, leveraging a real estate purpose purchase, assuming that the real estate purchase will cover the entire mortgage and all of your other expenses is totally acceptable. Whereas some people believe only all cash purchases is there. I mean, there's pros and cons to both, right? But there's not necessarily a wrong way to do it. It's whichever one, you know, like anything money related. And I think this is where people get into problems like like dieting right you try to do a fad diet you go too hard you burn out and you quit with money i think it's the same way right if you are super risk averse don't go crazy and if you are like me when i especially when i was younger and you're like i got time to make all this back let's go for go for broke and see what happens like you know just don't be a total idiot but you know see what happens um so I, i like that you mentioned like hey there's different approaches and it's it's on what they're comfortable with and what they want to do yeah, I think you hit it right there. I think you hit the, the the nail on the head with the risk because it's almost like their risk needle. I'll ask them. I'm like, hey, look, how, how do you feel? And that really makes the determination there. They don't really have to answer it. Like if their risk level is low, I'm like, okay, well, let's go this way. If their risk level is high, okay, continue what we're doing or do something else. So a risk is a huge thing for a lot of people because they're not willing to roll the dice. They're so scared. 
uh, a lot of people that, that come to me, they're just so scared at that point, And it's a huge thing for them to open up about finances to begin with. So I try to walk that line with caution. I don't want to make them feel like they can't trust me. So it's a huge trust thing for somebody to, you know, allow you to walk with them. Absolutely. Yeah, my risk needle is broken. It's way too far off. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible. Like, I, uh, I mean, I bought a house. My first flip that I'm doing solo was a like $12,000 house that needed $50,000 worth of work. And everyone's like, that's way too much of a project for you on your first. I mean, I've done, I've partnered on some flips, but they're like, that's way too much for your first one. I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of upside. So I'm going for it. And uh, you know, and at the end of the day, I, I run the numbers. Like the worst case scenario is once the house is fixed, I'll break even. And that's like worst case scenario. There's no way I can't. You know, with only having $60,000 in a home that should sell for 90. But a lot of people would like never even think about touching a property where you're paying almost five times as much to renovate it as you did to purchase it. <laughs> so, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I guess I'm too far. I'm probably too far to the risk side, but I'm also still at least in my head young enough that I can justify it. So it's still fun, <laughs> but I've luckily leveled out a little bit with, emergency funds and, and, you know, actually been utilizing my TSP like I should the last decade for the last little while, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So there was one question that we wanted to ask, or I wanted to ask before this, and I wanted to ask you, what is, what do you think is like the number one reason that people don't win in the money world? So I think it can be summed up into um, the word procrastination. Uh, and the reason why I say that, because it really came true a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my side hustles, I was doing a presentation to a school district, but it was some, uh, the people are about to retire in their late sixties and stuff like that. And I'm asking them, okay, do you have a will? Do you have this? And we're going through the whole checklist and they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, you're 60 something years old, about to retire and you don't have this. I said, what's your excuse? Well, we were going to do it. We were going to do it. I'm like, okay, well. You were going to do it someday? And, oh, yeah. Well, I was like, someday is not one of the days of the week. Procrastination is killing you. You need to make this a priority because everything else is a priority. So that's the one thing that I, I see across the board, whether it's the millennials, the middle age, or even the, the older folks, which we're seeing a lot of issues with those right now. And I have a whole analogy based on that, what, what my thoughts are. Um, but we're seeing it across the war across the board and it's just procrastination. Like just stop, just start somewhere. You have to start, but we're so afraid to start because we're so afraid that we're going to fail. Like, okay, we'll go back to what you're doing if it didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, but to my analogy, what, just to add on to my analogy, what's going on, I believe with the later generation, their mid sixties and stuff like that, which I'm seeing that's, the, you know, I think there's a reason why that reverse mortgage and all these other things are, you know, a hot topic right now in the market is because what started in 1950 when the Diners Club was released into that market in 1951, you know, other cards followed on. This is the first real generation we're seeing where we started that borrowing factor with credit cards. And it seems like there's an academic, like they just kept on borrowing and borrowing. But their generation before, you know, none of their grandparents had credit cards because credit cards wasn't around. So I'm wondering, I, I haven't seen a, a study or anything done, but there's a lot of people in their late 60s that are in dire need right now because they have absolutely no savings. And, and it's, it's pretty sad. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely not good. And you are spot on. What do you, I would be curious to ask what you think of the reverse mortgage. Oh, so and actually, I think, before, before I let you answer that, because I did this wrong the last time, could you explain what the reverse mortgage is? Because I don't think anyone's brought it up on this show yet. <laughs> okay, so maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'm going to try to hit it the best I know. So essentially, you're borrowing from equity on your property, right? So um, let's say if you had a, in Southern California, if you had a house that was worth 700000 I think you're allowed to borrow is it 40? It's a certain percentage that they do that you're allowed to borrow. And then eventually when that money runs out, you're supposed to start paying it back. Right. That's the principle behind it, but it gives you a bunch of money for you can survive because people in that stage are so broken, desperate, they're willing to do anything they're doing. So what we're seeing is the broken, desperate people when they take that and all of a sudden the money's gone and they have to start making payments that's when these houses are getting foreclosed and it's getting turned back into these companies. And all of a sudden these older people have no place to go. I think there is circumstances where you can weigh it against your odds. If you are a well off and you have something that you can survive on, you have your social security, you have your retirement and all that. And it might be, did you sort the squeeze that you don't need that money? You can turn around and invest it and beat the margins on that. I think that's a good, other than that, that's the only circumstance that I can see that it's actually a good investment. Other than, you know, outbeating or outperforming, you know, the market. Yeah, I, I agree. It's essentially, from what I understand, and I need to do some more research on this, but it's essentially like turning your house into a bank account. And what you do is yeah. you say you pull out $2,000 from your reverse mortgage, and essentially you take $2,000 and the mortgage on your house goes up to $2,000. Then you take $3,000 and the mortgage on your house goes up another $3,000. And so you just pull money out and you just eat equity away out of your house. And it depends on the company, but my understanding is like, you don't necessarily have to pay it back. There's no like schedule. I think, and I think this is kind of the, the this is where it's gonna be really interesting and not in a good way per se. A lot of people realize that a house with a lot of equity, like this is especially common in Hawaii where property is just so expensive and taxes are crazy. A lot of people I know, their exit strategy is probate, which for those of you who don't understand what I just said, when you die, you pay less taxes or none, or you don't have to deal with it. And so they will pass away while still owning their house so that they don't have to pay taxes. But what is going to happen with the reverse mortgage is people are going to pay, get this thing built up, realize, oh crap, I'm screwed. And they'll either get foreclosed on or they'll make the minimum payment they can. And I think the, I think the intent with the bank is to let it be fairly minimal payment to where this works out to where when you die, bank gets the house. And like you said, if the bank was only going to loan 40% of the value of the home, they just bought your house for 40 cents on the dollar. They're going to turn around and flip it back to the market. And your kids just missed out on a $700,000 house worth of inheritance essentially. Um, so it's a very interesting and I think it's kind of a playing with fire in the aspect that you're essentially saying, well, I could pay this back. And if I don't, when they sell, they'll pay it back. And if they don't, the bank will get it. And my kids get screwed. You know, maybe they don't have kids. But yeah. I don't know that people are thinking through that piece. And I wonder if that's kind of the, the end strategy for the bank. Mm -hmm. And I personally dealt with that one scenario, that one off that, that I was telling you about. It, it was a gentleman, he had contacted me. He was just wanting some advice because he was looking into the reverse mortgage thing. And I'm like, okay, do you, do you have any debt? Do you have any? He's like, no, 100% debt free. 
I own absolutely everything. I have no family. Nobody's around. And I initially told him no. And actually, I turned around and called him back. I'm like, you know, I, this might be a circumstance where you can outperform it. I was like, but 99% of the time, it's probably going to be no. But this guy was a really one-off scenario. It was like his house was worth in the millions. And I'm like, well, man, it might be worth rolling the dice for yours. So, you know, I'd say I would roll, you check your numbers and see if it'd play out for you, depending on what you wanted to do. And but if, I was like, if you got, you know, if you know, you've got five or six years to live, you have no one yeah. worthy of inheriting. Why not? I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm 75 or I get terminally ill and realize like I got three years left, you know, and I've got a house that I could pull a half a million dollars out of and live large. Well, if I got no one to give the house to, why not I pull it all out? I die. The bank takes the property. They get a great deal. I don't have to pay a penny back. Who cares? I mean, that's a very strange situation, but I mean, for someone like that, who doesn't have, you know, he's not trying to pass on anything like that could be great. It was a very unique call. I've never one call. That's all I've ever had. I was like, man, and I usually say no right away. And I was like, wait, let me think. And I literally had to go back and think about it. I'm like, it might not be no for him. So anyway. Interesting. Yeah. That's a very, I need to should go hunt down like a reverse mortgage expert and try to ask those pointed questions to see like what happens when they don't pay back what happens when they pass away what happens when because i'm curious if that's the underlying strategy or if that's just a byproduct i mean that would be a fairly brilliant long-term strategy from as as kind of pathetic as it sounds if the bank is literally like hey we could buy this house for 40 cents on the dollar in 10 years when it's worth it wouldn't even be 40 cents on the dollar if it appreciates even 2%, right? You'd be paying, it would be like 30% off, 30 cents on the dollar by the time you take it. And you wouldn't owe anything because you're the bank and it's your money. So yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Very strange. Anyway. Um, all right. So we have covered a lot of random money coaching topics. <laughs> kind of bounce all over the place from debt to investing strategies to uh, the crazy reverse mortgage. But what other, uh, I mean, before we wrap this up, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Any parting advice, big ideas in the money world or, or really any world? But... No, I, I would just say for, for the average person that really doesn't have control of their money, that's the first step. You have to tell your money where to go. Otherwise, you're going to see where it went analogy. And I believe that's true. So until you actually do that, that's the first step. And you know, re realizing what you need to do with your money. So it's totally up to the individual. If you want to live your life and, and blow all your money and wind up like we did, we were living the dream and we were stationed in Florida at the time. So we had jet skis and trailers and everything was financed, uh, you know, and it, it was just, we thought we were until it started adding up really quick. So it yeah. depends on what you want. Want to live a comfortable life on my terms. Yeah. Well, so I would ask you, what's next after retirement? Yeah, so uh, I've been to several different local organizations trying to do that. I really want to brand. I really want to brand myself, and I believe this is a need. I think it's a huge need. Uh, I think NBC or one of the other ones just released an article today about the millennials and how much debt that they were in. Everybody starts talking about the student loan debt, but it's not even that. It's the tremendous amount of credit card debt that millennials are dealing with right now. And it's a crisis. And I believe we're about to see it. I believe there is going to be a change in the economy coming. I said for the longest time, 2020 was going to be an interesting year. And I believe 
we're starting to see the trickle effects of that across the market. Um, so next for me, I want to grow my company. It's going to be the toughest thing I've ever done in my life because it is such a unique thing. Um, but if not, I'm a side hustler and I'll figure out a way. Um, but <laughs> yeah, a GSA, GSA <laughs> space for the government. That's where the money's at. No, that's, I guess that makes sense. And I also on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are the, like, not car locks, like the big high security locks, the X10s and all that stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Sorry, I catch you off there. You, I think you you said, and I also want you, and then I started talking about safes. Oh, well, you know, one of my other things that's unique about me is I'm a technician for all the ion scan machines, like the stuff you see at the airport. So that I was thinking about maybe going down that road as well as another side hustle on the side. But, you know, I'm always like brainstorming crazy thoughts. Just build yourself like a really extreme escape room where you like have, I don't know, <laughs> metal detectors and crazy security locks. And I, and I yeah. don't know that, but that's a very interesting set of skills to have picked up for side hustling. And, and I love it. That's cool. Uh, and also <laughs> much more marketable, I would imagine, because there's not much competition, right? Everybody drives for Uber, so. Yeah, very true. That's awesome. Well, Joe, I really appreciate having you on here. Before we wrap this up, I've got to give you the chance to plug your website and where people can get a hold of you. Yep. So my website's kind of a work in progress right now, but if you simply Google me, I'm on like the Google pages. So it's Average Joe's Financial Independence. You Google it. I'm based out of San Diego, but like I said, I have clients all over the U.S. Or if you want to go old school, you can contact me directly. It's 805-419-9777. Again, area code 805 four one nine nine seven 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 but as soon as you put it in the google search engine average shows financial independence it seems to come up every time for people so um and it has a direct link i think there's a tab on there where you can call me directly from the website or whatever if you're doing it on your smartphone so until i get a, a better platform built uh that's what it is for right now because you only can have so many side hustles going on focus on so many things at one day right joe the locksmith metal detector website design <laughs> guy. Yeah, let me let me throw that on there. I'll tell you the website piece takes a while. I've got a lot of learning to do and I've been meddling with mine for two years and it's and I've I've had professional help. I paid I paid someone to redesign mine about six months ago. Totally worth it. But even still I've still got stuff that I'm like, oh I want to tweak that. Oh man, I gotta go do a day worth of learning how to do that. So Yeah. Exactly. But that's not the important part of your brand, thankfully. The important part of your brand is helping people and getting word of mouth. Absolutely. Yep. And that's why I really never focused on the website. I'd <laughs> rather focus my attention on actually doing the mission or the job or whatever, you know. Exactly. Nope. Adding value. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate it. And thanks again for having me on. Definitely. And for those of you listening, as always, Joe's information will be in the show notes down below. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.